DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Kef, Kef Cerdello. He joins us. He's a beat writer for the uh, Texas State football team. He writes for the Austin American Statesman, covers Texas State. He joins us now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprinter come together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Kev, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And you know why we're playing George Strait, don't you? Oh, I, of course. Texas State <laughs> alum. I should say Southwest Texas State alum. <laughs> Which right. is now Texas State. Yes. Kev, we need to paint uh, paint the picture here for people because we always talk about football crazy Texas is. The local schools here have all recruited Texas kids. Uh, Utah's done it. BYU's done it. Utah State's done it. Uh, but to kind of paint a picture to let them know how competitive it is and how much schools are parked next to each other, if I have my geography right, Austin and San Antonio are about an hour apart by freeway, right? About an hour drive. Correct. University of Texas is in Austin, and now, obviously, uh, UTSA, who BYU just played, <clears throat> is in San Antonio, and now the area in between is kind of filling in. It's just kind of a western sprawl thing. You see it all the time. And San Marcos sits about halfway between Austin and San Antonio, and now you got Texas State there. you got three college football teams or as the Longhorn fans would say, two in the shadow of the real college football team, but parked within oh. an hour of each other. Is that is that true? Yes, absolutely. You know, they call that the uh, I-35 corridor because it's the highway that separates or that, that goes along all, all down that way is IH-35. Um, even the rivalry between Texas State and UTSA is called the, the I-35 showdown, so... Yeah, they're they're all right down the road. I mean, you kind of said it. It's Texas is up there casting a shadow on some of the other ones because there's even Incarnate Word down in San Antonio, and they're kind of up and coming in, in the FCS ranks. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of colleges here. I mean, there's 12 FBS colleges in the state of Texas alone. Are so there the Cal- are, are there players and fans for all those teams? Oh, uh, I mean, it's it's it gets kind of. It depends on if they're winning, really. I mean, of course, the big the big dogs like Texas, Texas A and M, TCU, Baylor, they're always going to have their fans. But with some of the smaller guys, Texas State, UTSA, if they're winning, the fans show up. If not, it's usually about you know seven, eight thousand at a game. We know that uh, Texas State has made uh, well; they've already made the transition, obviously, from what they were to the D one and. They used to have a rivalry with Nickel State, and now are they trying to develop something on that I-35 with San Antonio? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they used to be in the Southland Conference together, and they've, they've battled it out in other sports besides football for going back to the 70s. But UTSA um, incepted their football team 2011, I believe it was, so they, they're real, real new in the football scene. And they've played four times since UTSA has, has started playing football. And starting in 2023, they're going to play eight straight series going to 2030. So it's something that they're, they're really trying to promote. But honestly, UTSA has Texas State's number four nothing on that series. So, I mean, not, not too much of a rivalry as far as uh, wins and losses are concerned. Yeah, well, Utah fans are sitting in the cars right now saying, yeah, you think four in a row is something, you ought to try nine in a row. But that's another story, and we don't need to get into that right now with you. 
<laughs> yeah. So I think we're curious about Texas State here. Obviously, a one in five record is not good, but I see a seven point loss to open the season to SMU. I see a three point loss to UTSA and a three point loss at Boston College. And so I'm thinking if they had pulled a, something out earlier, would it be a real different vibe around the team right now? Are these guys getting beaten down at this point? Because they look close and competitive, but they just couldn't get over the hump in multiple games. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. I, I think if they could have squeezed out some of those wins, that overtime loss to UTSA was a pretty big one. Then that one to Boston College was was real close. I mean, Texas State led or tied that entire game up until the last three seconds. Boston College hit a field goal to win it. I, you know, I, I feel like once once that loss happened in Boston, that's when the wheels started to really come off the the last couple games. And you know, they're they're one of six teams that have played six games this season there's it's 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 kind of um they've they've been beaten down by depth though, especially at the defensive back in the db section of the of the defense they are real thin there i mean they lost three guys last week one of them will be back because he left because of targeting but they had two injuries and in starting corner cordell rogers and then his backup Roderick hockley came in and then dislocated his hand so he's out for the season so they've had a lot of depth issues beat up their D-line, too. It's really a lot of the injuries are on defense. Um, and it's it's a young, it's a new team, and I really think some of those, if they would have been able to get some of those early wins, would have instilled some confidence going forward for the rest of the season, especially because now starting with BYU going to the rest of the year, this is the toughest part of Texas State's schedule. I mean, they've got Louisiana, who was just ranked before they lost last week, coming up after BYU and, and, you know, Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy for the Bobcats, and it's, it's going to be tough for it not to snowball and kind of avalanche on them. And, I mean, it's, it starts with facing number 12 BYU this week. I mean, that's a pretty daunting task for the Bobcats. Definitely the toughest opponent they're going to face this year. Looks like just looking at their statistics uh... – quarterbacks uh, completing a fair amount of passes in the 60 percentiles, but it doesn't look like they're having much success getting the ball downfield that much. Uh, you expect them to take shots or be more short passing games? Yeah, you know, it's it's they've been, they've been kind of more mid-range passing is what they've been doing, especially with McBride. I think while they're kind of acclimating him with the offense, he, you know, it's his first season back after two years off. So they're not, they're not really they, – they have the receivers to go deep, um, and they can go deep, but they really they haven't been doing it the past few games. And, and I don't know if that's a depth issue or what's going on with that, but it's been a lot of intermediate passes. You know, the, the leading pass catcher last week was Jackson Lanham, tight end. Um, he, got, he had five catches and a touchdown. And they were all pretty much intermediate passes. Um, but they have guys like Marcel Barbie, Jeremiah Haydell, who can definitely go up and get it deep. So they have that ability, and, and um, you know, it's it's it's. I think it's really going to depend on if they can get the run game going, which is going to be pretty tough against this defense. Um, that that will definitely, if they can kind of catch the defense on their heels a little bit by by establishing the run. They've got three running backs that they use. They start Brock Sturgis. They bring Calvin Hill and Jamel Jeter off the bench. Sturgis is kind of every down back. Calvin Hill is your speedster, and Jeter is the the battering ram. So they kind of have 
they used those. And, and Jeter kind of came in late. Oklahoma State transfer. He had to get his waiver, so he's only been. This will be his fourth game. Um, but it looked like in practice they're really starting to use him more after not using him a bunch the past three games. So if they can establish that, I think that'll open up the, the deep game for them because that's when they've had success with the deep balls when, when the running game's going. So back up to McBride there. After two years off, what is his backstory? Yeah, so McBride, he he's out of Capel High School. It's here in Texas, and he it's kind of in the DFW area. It's about three hours away from San Marcos. And he uh, was recruited by Texas State, but he chose Memphis, went up there, and then uh, I'm sure you've heard of Brady White, the quarterback there. He got beat out um, by Brady White. So last August, August 2019, he transferred to Texas State, put in a hardship waiver to play last year, but it didn't go through. And so he spent his freshman year, I say two years off, but I get, he threw something like four passes at Memphis. He came in, came in late in the game. Um, so he didn't play much his freshman year at Memphis. And then last year he had to wait a year to play. And then so he was, he was eligible in fall camp this year. And now that, this is a guy, McBride is a guy who was recruited to come here by Jake Spavadol. And the incumbent starter is Tyler Zitt, who was recruited by the previous staff. And so that's, that's kind of why you've, you've seen McBride get more of a shot than Zitt, I feel, is because that, that is – the guy, you know, they brought him in from Memphis and Spavadol recruited him, so he kind of wants to play him more. He adds a, a little more um, dynamicism to him. He can kind of run around and get out of the pocket, throw the ball more than Vitt, although, you know, Vitt's it's a pretty good leader and his stats speak for himself. I mean, he had six touchdowns and a handful of yards in his two starts. So, um, But, yeah, McBride's their guy that's either starting this week. You know, it's, it's they brought him in, so I think they're going to play him and, and – he hasn't thrown. He hasn't turned the ball over too much, but you can definitely tell he's he's a little rusty after being off for a while, um, and so it'll it'll still taking him some time to get acclimated. But but he's um, yeah he can he doesn't really he's not it's he too many deep balls from him. That's why I was saying those intermediate passes like we were talking about before. I think that's just while they get him adjusted, they're kind of doing that. But you know they they definitely have the deep ball. Uh, weapons for the deep ball, so it could happen too. So, is he entrenched, or could we see both guys? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's entrenched. There was they did they talked about doing both guys two weeks ago, and they put in Vit for a series. And it was a three and out, and then they didn't see him again for a couple run plays. And then last week it was all McBride, and. Every week leading into the game, Spavadol wouldn't name a starter or anything like that. And yesterday at his press conference, I'm sorry, on Tuesday at his press conference, he named McBride the starter. I mean, early in the week. So I'm pretty sure they're going to go with McBride. I mean, if it's, I will say, if it gets pretty lopsided, maybe they'll start um, unloading the bench, trying to get some guys' experience. Maybe, maybe throw Tyler Vitt out there and see what he can do a little bit. But I mean, they're, they're, 30-point underdogs in this game. So it's uh, it's I could definitely see that happening, that both would play. But if it's a successful game, playing both wouldn't be in the game plan, no. Kef Chardell will join us, Texas State beat reporter for the Austin American Statesman. So one thing with uh, BYU playing more Texas teams this year, and we've kind of delved into it, is a lot of the schools, even if they don't have the big-time history and name and pedigree, there are enough athletes in Texas – 
and there are players who can't play somewhere, who transfer somewhere, that there can be a couple of difference makers that you haven't heard of, a couple of excellent athletes who, even if you don't know who they are, they can make plays. Who are those guys on this roster on either side of the ball? Oh, right off the bat, I would say Shareed. Jamare Shareed, um, he's number one, plays in the slot. You know, they go back and forth starting him, but I bet they'll start him this game in the slot. Just, just They'll go back between him and, and uh, Drew Jackson is another guy. Um, but in that slot position, gosh, he is a speedster. He, he gets the, spot, the ball in space, and, and he just goes. He's kind of smaller, you know, maybe about 5'8", five, 5'7", five, but he, he really can't. I mean, on kickoff return, you'll definitely see him. He, he returns the kicks for the Bobcats. And uh, he hasn't busted one yet. I, I can tell he's going to get close eventually because every time he gets the ball, he, he catches it at the, the end zone and takes it out to the 30, 35 at least. So he's definitely a speedster if they put the ball in his hands. Um, you know, I guess because it's it, you probably haven't heard too much of Texas State, there's Jeremiah Haydell and Marcel Barbie are two receivers who uh, multiple times each have made SportsCenter top 10 for some of their catches early in the year. Um, so they've got some, some two really talented receivers that can, that can shock you. You know, Texas State has plenty of skill position players, running back and receiver, they're a little thin at tight end, um, but if they have an issue, it's, it's kind of it hasn't been terrible play at quarterback, but it's really trying to figure out who is the quarterback there, and kind of some issues on the offensive line is the problem with with the Texas State offense. But they definitely have plenty of skill players. I mean, I could go on. I mean, there's Drew Jackson too; he's a speedster himself. And there's a there's a bunch of those guys on the Bobcats offense, but. Offensive line issues and beat up DBs and D line has, has really done them in, though. And that, that I think that'll be the case this weekend as well. My wife's favorite baseball player is Paul Goldschmidt. How about that? Hey, we love Paul Goldschmidt. That's actually uh, when I was a student reporter at Texas State, was when he was playing. So that was fun. We would watch him hit the ball into the parking lot all the time. <laughs> Great guy too. He was always the best, the the best interview. Always very polite and and cordial and everything. And so great. He's the only Texas State baseball jersey retired. No reason, yeah. no reason to be uptight if you just hit the ball in the parking lot. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> of course, he's in a good mood, ready to talk to you. Of course, yeah. Right. Who would avoid the media after that? I mean. Yeah. Well, Kev, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for the time to kind of fill us in a little bit on Texas State and what we might see when they play BYU this week. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, Kev Ciardello there, Texas State beat reporter for the Austin American Statesman. Skilled players who can make a big play, but BYU is going to work them at the line of scrimmage, and that usually adds up to a convincing win, PK. Hard to play quarterback when your line is leaking like a sieve. Who cares, man? George Strait went there. <laughs> You're more ex- more excited about George Strait or Goldschmidt? Of course, LBGA went there, too. Now, it was not known as Texas State at the time. Oh, this is a great tune. You should listen to this tune. I know you've sworn off anything that you just identify as country, but this has a great message. And a great and you, you can dance to it as a great beat. Go Somebody done done me wrong. How about this tune? 
Well, I can only hear you, so it's a little hard to judge. Crank it up, Yak. Yeah, Yak, crank it up. Not bad. If I've got to listen to country music, you got me. So, oh. you was, <laughs> go, go ahead, yeah. little backstory. DJ likes to talk about all the time how I grew up listening to classic rock with my dad. There's one. Yes. O- there's one other genre DJ that I was very engrossed in growing up, and that is country and guys like George Strait. So. There it is. George Strait's a legend. He goes down to uh, T-Mobile in Vegas like three or four times a year. Plays yeah. five or six Sells shows. Sells it out for a week straight. Yes. <laughs> Vegas, yes. baby. Guys on top of his there. game, man. It's it, it's sort of a residency. I mean, those residencies usually are at hotels. Yeah, but this is he goes to and, the T-Mobile and Arena. Yeah. T-Mobile, which is a freestanding arena. I mean, obviously, it's right by the Strip there, so it's got tons of hotels within walking distance. We've all been there. But yeah, I mean, he just he just jams and packs them in twenty thousand constantly. Same, same concept as a residency. Why should I travel when we could have you travel? I don't want to travel. Yeah, I'll be it's here. just not like uh, six up. weeks. Right, he'll come into Vegas like three or four times a year for two or three shows. All right, DJ, so is, yeah. DJ and PK, Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, joining us next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. From Athlon Sports, Brian Fisher. We all know that uh, they can start engraving Trevor Lawrence's name on that Heisman Trophy right now. But with that said, could Zach Wilson be sitting next to Trevor when he accepts that trophy in New York? I think so. And it's not just because of the outstanding play that, that he's had on the field, but I think it also helps really that he's kind of gotten the spotlight to himself, uh, you know, kind of this early part of the season. Certainly being one of the few teams in the mountain time zone itself to, to even be playing and able to make an impression on voters. And I think the way that he has been playing certainly qualifies him among the top three or four you know, most outstanding players in the country. And, and I think if they keep this up, if they maybe make it to that New Year's Six Bowl, I think they've got a real good chance. I think he can definitely finish as one of the finalists. And uh, you know that's credit to how well he's playing right now. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. It is time to welcome in Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker. He joins us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone every week. Brian, good morning. Hey, good morning. So, there are multiple storylines looking forward and looking backward. But first, one last look at that Houston game. How surprised were you that BYU, when everything started going wrong, was able to grab that game by the neck and turn it around with the game on the line and score 29 unanswered? In your experience, how hard is that to do when everything's going wrong, to shift it around and make everything go right? Honestly, that was one of the most proud moments um, I've had in the last, I can't even remember how many years. Even even more proud than, than some of the signature wins they've had. Um, just because it's different. Um, a lot of the, the casual observer doesn't understand how hard it is to face that, that kind of adversity, that kind of, you know, when things aren't going your way, when you're on the road, playing a good team and losing, and to be able to just, you know, double down and fight your way back 
not just a victory, but a commanding victory. It just it's it's the mark of a of a good team, and I I was I I can't even put into words how pleased I was to see the way that they responded to a difficult situation where you know Houston jumped up on them and scored 17 points in the second quarter, and and um, I mean this game looked looked in doubt, and they just BYU absolutely responded, and it was it was just so so pleasing for me as a fan as a former alum. It was it was awesome. So did you break out the non-alcoholic champagne and start toasting when they went from a three-man to a four-man front? <laughs> uh, f- figuratively speaking, yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just funny. You know, we, we talk about that a lot. Uh, I talk about that a lot just with friends and, and people that I run into, and um, we talk about it on the show. And it's, it's just kind of curious to see the different results. Um, and, you know, I just – the proof's in the pudding, if you ask me. We talked about it last week, and yep. I, I just, yeah, I just think, uh, I think that the results, you know, prove themselves. So now here comes Texas State. It ought to be a big win. You get uh, anything over, you know, four touchdowns in the spread, and you know, you're talking major blowout here. Except the last time we were talking major blowout, it turned out to be a tight game, and people were sweating bullets. Why is this going to be different? Um, I don't know that it will be different. I expect it to be different. And yeah, I mean, we were—I was on this show talking about that 35-point spread a couple weeks ago, and then BYU eked out a close, ugly win. And so, and that you know, and, and maybe the silver lining from that is maybe in years past that's a game they lose, and, and we're disappointed. And you know, I talked about those signature wins that BYU has had the last couple of years, which have been great, and then. Um, equally as disappointing, if not more disappointing than those signature wins, you know, in the opposite direction, as, as exciting as those wins were, were the disappointing losses that they've had over the last couple of years that have kind of marred this administ- this this, um, this staff's um, their, their their program, their record right now. Um, maybe we're over that. And that's what I hope to see. And so a couple weeks ago, maybe that was a loss, and now it was an ugly win. And an ugly win is better than a pretty loss. And so I, I expect us to dominate a lesser opponent and and learn from the mistakes that we had a couple weeks ago and, you know, just put the game away early and let the, let the reserves come in and get some playing time. So from a defensive perspective, which obviously is where you come from, is it number one in terms of most level of importance when a quarterback's got it going on and Toon did? I mean, he, I think he was, uh, he threw three incompletions in the first half, and two of them was when he was clocking the, uh, stopping the clock there with, you know, taking the, the hike and just jamming it into the turf so they can stop the clock, I think, at the end of the first half. So my thought for you is, you basically, you have to get pressure on him, right? Or else he's just going to pick you apart. Yeah, I mean, so basically, He's a good quarterback, and he showed that. He's accurate. He's capable. He rose to the challenge, and we made it even easier for him. And, you know, he, yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. Like, the kid was just completing every pass. And, um, you know, I saw a tweet that said something about only BYU could make both quarterbacks look like Heisman candidates. It was kind of made me chuckle because um, it was kind of accurate. Uh, you know, we, we, our kid looked good, and uh, we made their kid. Their kid's good. Uh, he's a good quarterback, and we made him look even better than he is, I think, in the first half. Um, and, and it's disappointing, and, and it comes down to what you said. 
any decent quarterback these days, I mean, it's different than it used to be. These days, these kids, they get coached up. These quarterbacks, they get coached up from the time they're eight years old. And by the time they get to college, I mean, it's just the, the, the preparation that these quarterbacks have coming into college is light years ahead of what it was ten, even just 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. These kids, they have seen it all. They, they've been in spread offenses. They've been throwing the rock all around. It's not back in the day where in high school and little league all they did was run the ball and ran the triple option. And these kids are, are flinging it, and they've seen it. And what I'm going to say is these kids, they're good. And any good quarterback, if you give him time, he's going to find somebody that's open. You can't cover forever. Coverage is hard. It's one of the hardest things in football. And you, you can only do it for a few seconds. You can't do it for five or six seconds. And so any decent quarterback, if you give him time, he's going to find somebody open, and he's going to light you up. And that's just that's what we saw. Well, that's good news. <laughs> good for the update there. All right, yeah. so I'm curious what you want to see in the next two weeks because BYU's – a heavy favorite. They're going to be a heavy favorite again. And obviously, the Boise State game is a huge game for BYU. So what do you want to see out of these next two games to let you know the Cougars are ready for the Broncos? Yeah, so what I want to see is just clean up the, the few the few errors that we've had and just you know put together a – what you'd like to see is, is put together just a complete game. And so even in those early games where we, we just dominated – um, there were some errors, you know, there was poor tackling here or, uh, you know, some drop balls there, or, you know, and there's just different, different mistakes back and forth that we've made. Um, a turnover here, you know, a lazy fumble, just some of those, some of those preventable mistakes. Um, I'd like to see us play a really clean game and get ready so that we can, um, can face those guys and be prepared. Because, yeah, it's going to come down to, you know, the, the things that we want to accomplish this year, uh, obviously every year you want to go undefeated. I mean, this is a year that if you're going to go undefeated, this is the year to do it. And undefeated gets you a, a place at the table, a chance to, to crack into the New York New Year's Six, which we haven't done now in a decade of its existence or however long it's been. We haven't done it. So this is our chance to do it. And and, so, and in order to do it, we got to beat Boise. we got to beat San Diego State. Those are the, the really tough games. That, um, that are remaining on our schedule. And so in order to do that, we have to execute and, and you know, play clean football, head it up into that. So we'll never know, but this is sports radio, so it doesn't matter. And you look at the four games that they would have started with, Utah, ASU, Michigan State, and Minnesota. And so we're guessing as far as what they might have been. But what is your thought? Uh, you, you, the first part of your question cut out. So, is, sorry, is the question what is my thought on how their season would have gone? The first four games where they have the two Pac 12s and the two Big Tens. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's and it's all speculation. There's, there's literally no way to know. Um, and that's the thing, you know, this team, I, I think it's a good team. I really, I really still don't know how good they are. Um, and, and, and if they had played that original schedule, you know, are they, are they a seven-win team again or are they a 10-11-win team again? And I honestly don't know. Um, on, any, on the last several years, you know, we've had, we've start, we always start off, it seems, you know, with a really tough first four games. 
And, you know, that schedule is no different. And kind of the, the hope or the mindset going into it is, that, you know, if we can split those and go two and two, um, then we set ourselves up nicely for the kind of the softer part of our schedule, if you will. And so, you know, looking at that original schedule for 2020 and, and then looking at the way the team is, which is, it's a good team, you know, um, I, I think three and one would have been, I think it would have been realistic and I think it would have been something that is achievable and it would have been really good for us to set ourselves up for the rest of the schedule. So I'm curious here with the, uh, with the schedule getting softer now, uh, what do you think the odds are that they get a big lead and get to, play, uh, get to play some of the younger guys, some of the backups? And how important do you think it is at the quarterback spot in case Wilson goes to the NFL this year that they get some time for Romney? Yeah, so uh, the nice thing is Romney got a bunch of PT last year, mm-hmm. and he's capable. He's shown that he's capable, and the moment's not too big for him. And, and I mean, it, there, there were people, there were lots of people that were calling for him to be the starter this year. You know, some people within my own family, I won't name names, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of people, that, and it's just recency bias. Um, you know, Zach had some struggles last year. He obviously wasn't healthy um, with it coming off, coming off the shoulder surgery and and anyway so it's great that we have that experience that being said yeah you want as many reps as you can going forward and so um a great a great objective or goal if you will for the team is to put these these next couple games away early and get experience for the younger guys there's no situation where that doesn't help you like they're like literally there's there's no scenario where that doesn't help the program it doesn't help development of those kids. You want live bullets, and you want as many of them as you can before those kids are the main guys, and that's what helps your program have upward mobility. That's what helps you stay consistent from year to year and, and continue to win and, 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 and perform and execute. And so, yeah, that should absolutely be the goal is to get as many people, as many reps as possible. So 5-0, and all sorts of national love. Zach Wilson is getting it in abundance. The team is getting it. And largely, you know, the schedule hasn't been a killer schedule, certainly compared to what it could be or what it has been since they've gone independent. So I'm giving you the keys to make a schedule. What is your model schedule for BYU? Yeah, so I've seen some debate on Twitter with people saying we should schedule like this every year. And I mean, I, I, I appreciate that argument and there's something to be said of that in terms of you win games, you're relevant, you have a place, a chance to crack into the New York six. I, if that's not who I am, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the guy that wants to schedule eat week and get easy wins. Like I, I want it. I want it all. Like I want all the smoke. I want the toughest schedule, the, the biggest brands, that's just who I am, and I, I just I don't know. I, not everybody's wired that way. I understand it, and I know that that's that's tough. It's an uphill battle with our recruiting, with our personnel, and with the our program as it is. But that's just what I want, and I want to put in the work so that we can perform against the the upper echelon of college football. And and if we perform against them, then our recruiting is going to go up, and if our recruiting goes up, our talent's going to get better, and it's just. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I, my, I guess to answer your question, no, I do not want to see a schedule like this every year. I like the way that Homo has scheduled tough competition, and that's how I want it. And I would have it no other way. And if I was a player, I would absolutely love it. Like I said, I, I want all the smoke. 
And that is going to be a drop, by the way, guaranteed. What's that? That's going to be a drop. I want all the smoke. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you quote it. Quote it. I want it all. Bring it. <laughs> there it is, Yak. Cut it up. You have his permission. You're ready to go. Do you think that they should, uh, and, and I'm with you on don't schedule like this in the future, but do you think that Tom should schedule it in the future so there aren't four really hard games piled up in September? Yeah. I mean, so, and, yes, yes. And that's the thing. Um, you know, Derek Jordan tweeted out something. I think he said that BYU has been 40% or something like that against P5 opponents and then and then he said they're 29 percent when when they play them two back-to-back the second week of a back-to-back um and and that you know statistics are statistics those numbers you know that's how they've experienced previous previous performance has no indicator of future performance i mean there's so many different ways to look at it and 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 that's with the the talent that we've had and you know we do well this year and we up our talent going forward and I mean, there's just so many angles, and, it, and a lot of it depends on, like, the, the decision-makers. And This is the coaching staff. This is the, the, um, the athletic department, and then obviously the board for the, the school. What is the objective for the program? And, if, 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 and, and what your objective is can vary, and, and that kind of determines what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to win football games and, you know, get your name out there, then yeah, schedule easy opponents and whatever, and just try to to, to craft nine ten wins every year. That's fine, but I I mean I don't think that's the, the staff and the, the athletic department's objective. I think they want to win. I think they want to be win at the highest level and and have similar success that they did in the heyday and the glory days. And I mean that's it's a hard that's a hard accomplishment, but it's not impossible. It's something we can do. It's you know it's an uphill battle and it, there's a lot of obstacles in our way but it's attainable and i'm the type of person that i i'm never gonna shoot for mediocre like i want to be the best i want to beat the best so yeah the, in my opinion the, the program you know needs to do that and um and I, I ultimately we'd like to get into a p5 and then we're playing the toughest week in and week, week out we're not there right now but that's where i'd like to get well, Brian, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, always a pleasure, guys. You guys have a good one. All right, and you'll have a drop with all the smoke. Yak will, ne- Yak will begin working on that immediately. Coming up, B.J. Reigns, Boise State beat writer for the Idaho Press Tribune. The Broncos opening with Utah State this week, and then after a game against Air Force, they play the Cougars. We'll talk with B.J. Reigns. Coming up at 930, stay with us. Nothing else matters, fellas. Every day we go to work. Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered. As the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. You gotta go faster, faster. Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day. 975-1280 the zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Zero Res carpet cleaning has been proven in lab tests to remove more dirt and soils than other methods. 
Their powered water cleaning means no soap, no shampoos, and no toxic chemicals. Schedule your zero-risk cleaning today by calling them at 801-288-9376. All right, we've talked to Brian Keel and Kev Jardell from uh, Texas State Beat Reporter from the Austin American Statesman. So, PK, what do you know about this BYU game and this BYU team that you didn't know going into this hour? You pick anything up here? They're going to kick the crap out of this team. You know, I think the bigger issue is not this game, certainly. I mean, they're, they're going to win and win easily. Uh, Texas State is it's not in the level that BYU should ever be in, really, um, for that matter. Even in BYU's down years, they still should be able to just roll over a team like this. Now, this is not a down year, obviously. But Keel brings up an interesting point where he talks about you know, he wants to get back to the glory days. Well, what were the glory days? Because when you look at the scheduling in the glory days, it was nothing like the scheduling in independence. And, and they were, so with, they were, yeah. with that in mind. They were beating ahead. up on an overmatched league in addition yeah. to a non-conference schedule that maybe, maybe had a big game. It didn't always. Sometimes it did. But the conference it, schedule was soft. Right, and you look at the glory days. Well, I think Bronco Mendenhall had glory days. When he got it going, his first year they went 6-6, six and six, which was a tremendous coaching job. I've said it a million times. I was working for the watchdog. I was there every single day. And the job that he had to do was just, it was huge. And he did it. Credit to him. And so the second year, that's when they start a year, of, uh, a run of four consecutive years with double-digit wins, right? That's good. We, we would all acknowledge it. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, but they were doing it in a league. They weren't doing it as an independent. And then that first year, I think they won 10 games, but Tom admitted that the schedule was going to be weak. He said it at the time, you've got to give me time to pump up the schedule. Everybody understood, right? So it was sort of a, you know, a... A, not not a mirage, but it wasn't built on strength. And then after that, he's done. He's t- what Tom said he was going to do. Tom has done, and he's given that the program a really good schedule. And fun, I think Tom just done a phenomenal job in that way. I, I think everybody has to agree with that. But the wins, in terms of a bunch of them, haven't been there. So if you want that run of all those double-digit wins, or if you want to go back to Lavelle Edwards when they were really, really rocking, then I think you got to get back into a league, and I'm not even sure a Power 5 league is the league you want to get in, if that's what you're looking for. What is achievable for this football program, they'd like realistically? To, they'd like to dominate the Big 12 the way Oklahoma's been dominating the Big 12. Who wouldn't? I want the Sun Devils <laughs> to dominate the Pac-12 the way they've never Dominated the Pac-12. The way they dominated the WAC. <laughs> okay, well, the way they do- the, and that was before my time. Yeah, you want the but the the late sixties, early really the early seventies. Um, right, I'm not living in Arizona. I'm not an ASU fan at the time, yeah. so I can't speak to any. Of that. I'm aware of it, obviously, but you didn't live it day in day in and day out. Yeah, the Danny White era was something that I heard about. I wish I would have experienced it because <laughs> it sounds like it was pretty sweet, <laughs> but. Uh, that 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 didn't happen uh, but at the same time myself i agree with what brian's saying because you would ask me would i rather be in the WAC mountain west or the pac 10 slash 12 i'm gonna take the pac 10 slash 12 every time 
So what comes back, and it's funny you bring up that ASU era, because what it comes back to is not just having NFL quarterbacks, which clearly matters, right? Taysom Hill's in the NFL, but he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. He gets play here and there. He's paid now to be a backup. But when they had him his senior year, they had a pretty good year. Yeah, they were. That was a nine-win team, and they played six Power Five teams, and they split them. And the three, the three losses. Well, and they also lost to Boise State, and it's four losses by eight points. And they had a four. They were nine and four, and they're eight points away from you know undefeated. And then you go back to the era you referenced with Bronco. Well, they had two quarterbacks who were they were both briefly in the NFL, right? But if you go back to the '80s, the heyday people referred to not only were in the softer league. But they had guys who were starting quarterbacks in the NFL, not backups, and most of them won playoff games. That was high-end quarterbacking, and the schedule was soft. But Steve Young won a Super Bowl. Jim McMahon won a Super Bowl. Gifford Nielsen won a playoff game. Mark Wilson won playoff games, plural, I think. Um, That is... A phenomenal run of quarterbacking. Robbie Bosco goes undefeated, but he hurts his shoulder, so he's in the NFL briefly, but he doesn't you know, get to do what the other guys did. Um, but he's got the hardware at the college level. Exactly. So, and that, that level of quarterbacking. But I don't know that you can get back to it, because in that era, a lot of teams wanted to run the ball and weren't really interested in quarterbacks. And so you could hit on quarterback after quarterback. Can you do that again? They're having a good year now. It looks like they got an NFL quarterback now. And you can go across 40 or 50 years of BYU football and see how important that is. And you can go to that Arizona State era we're talking about in the 70s. Uh, what, what years were the Danny White years? Uh, I want to say like 70 to 73. Oh, like that. that stretch where they lost four times in four years, where they were 43 and four? That stretch? Ooh, I, I would take that anytime. Yeah, 70 through <laughs> 73. They went 43 and four and won four league titles. They actually won the year before that, too, so they won five in a row. Uh, so, yeah, and again, Danny White won NFL playoff games as a starting quarterback. Didn't get to a Super Bowl. You know, he wasn't Roger Staubach. Well, that's, that's a pretty high bar if that's the bar for success. You know, but he won NFL playoff games as a starting quarterback. So can you get that and sustain that? Because if you have, that is a huge game changer. Yeah, I don't even think you need that, though. I mean, Sarkeesian didn't do it, and he was really good. They did have a 14-1 year with Sarkeesian. Yeah. You need high-level quarterback play, but it doesn't necessarily need to be in the NFL. Well, better if it is. I understand that. Uh, and that's important. But can BYU, with that high-level quarterback play, is the team good enough with this schedule? DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.